Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that felt good. Uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Oh, if there's a little extra pep in the step tonight... That's because I did not just spend my entire season doing post-game podcasts and other podcasts or other whatever the hell I've been doing all year on the worst team in Knicks history. Um, at the very least, they're going to be tied for the worst record in Knicks history. So that's a nice little nice little feather in the cap. Um, and literally, there is no one. Not a single person on the face of the earth that I would rather have to celebrate this undoubtedly momentous occasion uh, than the one and the only Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, you've been my partner in crime all year with these babies. Um, first of all, thank you. Second of all, how you doing? Great. The Knicks finally just started to, they decided to start winning games when we don't necessarily need them to. Which is fantastic because what does that? Do I say just make any sense? I'm happy that the Knicks are finally winning games and it doesn't have any effect on anyone's emotions. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about rooting like that. Exactly. is bad for us. Yeah, that's it. It's good. In fact, it would be bad to root against the Knicks right now. Anyone who's rooting against the Knicks, what are you doing? Why would you do that? So it's great that they're actually winning games, and it's okay. It is. We don't have to worry about it. It's nice. Um, these are. You know, I think Breen has even alluded to it a few times. I mean, at this point in the season against a team like, you know, the Bulls that they put out on the floor, um, which is who they've gotten. Um, who who else did they get a win against recently? It was another one against the Bulls. and they, who, who the hell else? The Wizards they? the last game. That's it, the Wizards. Yeah. They didn't play Bla- uh, Bradley Beal yes. <laughs> or Jeff Green for the entire second half of yeah. the they so, wanted to tank that game away, and we gladly took it. Uh, we gladly took it. Uh, hey, when you're when you're fighting for those elusive 16th and 17th wins, you take anything. Um, you know, so th- look, they they're games that count. In you know, technically, um, I think in general, it's still nice to see. It's nice to see them playing hard. Um, we've seen a couple of individual things from a couple of players that we'll we'll get into specifics now, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Should I it it leaves me feeling good at the end of a very very long year. Does does it not do the same for you? I feel great. It's really nice to and you, you touched upon this before, where we were saying, wouldn't it feel great if the Knicks maybe didn't finish with the worst record overall? They had some wins under their belt. They were able to aim a little bit higher. And so I feel like it's kind of a best-of-both-worlds situation. Sure, they're finishing in a place from the player's perspective, which is where you don't want to be. But from an organizational standpoint and from our vantage point, it's great that they finished last because we know that they're only going to fall to fifth at worst. For the players, they had this troubling season, but they're ending it on a high note. I think it's a resolution we can all agree with, and while the players yearn for more – they know, hey, this could have ended a lot worse. We're at least beating really bad teams, and <laughs> that's a nice thing to end on. It's something. Um, exactly. And, yeah, even, by the way, it, and and this obviously doesn't mean much, even though they're going to finish with less wins than anybody, um, like, I, I, I'm, I think you're the same way. I tend to look at net rating more than anything else, and... Um, they will not finish with the worst net rating in the league, not even close. The the Cavs, as of right now, have a negative 10 net rating. The Knicks are at negative 8.8. So you want to talk about uh, the world's smallest gold star? Plop that baby <laughs> on, on David Fisdale's uh, blazer right there. Um, all right, you mentioned the players. Um, you had really the piece that I have felt that I needed to write at some point, and now I'm happy I don't need to because you did it for me. Were you, you really got in for, for 
uh, Gotham Sports Network, you got into the nitty gritty, like really, really the nitty gritty um, of the contract situations this summer in terms of, all right, if we want two max guys, um, here is, here's how this is going to have to play out. And you kind of went player by player and, um, you know, looked at like, okay, the likelihood that, that each guy is, is going to be around next season based on the money that they need. So do you want to do, try to do like the quick 30 to 60 second recap of the, the piece? Cause I probably didn't do a great job describing it. No, you did a fine job, but sure. It's the thing is that I think a lot of people try to, or that they don't maybe fully understand is the, the odds of every single current young player on the Knicks being on the team and adding two stars is not possible, really. Yeah. Financially speaking, literally, either. it is it is not possible unless the stars take less money, which I am not holding my breath. Anyway, continue. Exactly. Even if they take a slight discount, it really doesn't help them out that much. So the article pretty much tried to break down what the salaries might look like, um, the roster charges, pick one through five. Uh, it's just trying to figure out what what the kind of squeezing ability is there. And a big part of that, I think, is Alonzo Trier, but then there's also Dennis Smith Jr. and Frankie Lakina. There are a lot of different variables here that need to be dissected. Even a trade-down situation is something I didn't get which, to go fully into detail which with. Which is, but, I think, perhaps the most interesting point that you raised. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But anyway, finish what you're saying. Yeah, so it's the sort of – and there are ways to cut corners. Like the – for example, the Knicks have given the last three first-round picks that they've drafted 120% of the maximum salary that they could. So they gave them the most money possible. And there's a possibility that they could give whatever player is there 80% or even 100%. And they might be able to kind of grease the wheels a little bit by doing that. But it's a disservice to the player you've just drafted where you're breaking this precedent and saying, hey, hope you understand. Winning's great. And also they could turn around and trade that player. So yeah. the whole thing is that it's really not one move away. It could be. But – the reality is that there there might be a lot more to it. And and just to make it explicitly clear, well, first of all, everybody listening, if you haven't read the piece, go check it out. Um, you can go I, – I retweeted it. It's on Jeremy's uh, Twitter page. The thing that we should make explicitly clear is if the Knicks, as they – as you just said, has been their practice to do, give – both use their draft pick on a, on a player and have that player be on their team – and give that player the highest um, amount of money they can uh, for their rookie contract, they will not be able to bring back, um, let's just say, their their young core of guys, all of them, which is um, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilakina, Damian Dotson, and Alonzo Trier. Uh, did I miss anybody? Yeah, and the first round pick, even if they fall to fifth in the draft. And that is the that is the key takeaway. They will still be, what did you figure out, $500,000, something about that? Short just about. Of, yeah, about short of a, of a second max slot. So let's just quickly go through the players that, that could be on the chopping block, starting with the least likely, um, which I would say is Mitchell Robinson, who we should remind everybody – um, had his second highest career total for uh, rebounds tonight. Had 17 rebounds tonight. 14 defensive, three on the offensive glass. Finished with eight points. Another three blocks. 29 straight games with consecutive or 29 straight games with multiple blocks. Um, like I, I can't imagine a scenario where Mitch isn't on this team next year. Can you, Jeremy? No. Especially based on the fact that his salary is basically the roster charge that it would take times two. Yeah, so yeah. you're not it's an it's a guaranteed salary. Why you would trade Mitchell Robinson to clear salary, I have no idea, unless you're offered maybe a lottery pick. But even then I would not want to do it. I would rather keep Mitchell Robinson. I'm again, we you could have all kinds of silly discussions like this, but like you know, if you offered me today the third pick in this draft for Mitchell Robinson, I I don't I don't think I'm doing that deal. 
Are you like, yeah. It, it, yeah, I just, I don't, he is. I'm in a similar boat. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, and that's partially because I think that there's more to him than maybe we're even, like, aside from this clear, like, game-changing, um, there's nobody else in the league who can maybe do the specific things that he could do stuff. I, I think he's like, I don't know, man. I, I, I'll give you a chance to, to really say your piece on him, like summarizing your thoughts on him for the whole year. I think he's like a special, like a leader. And I, I know that that's crazy because he doesn't talk a lot and it's like he doesn't fit the profile of the guy who comes in and it's like rah-rah and the whole thing. I just, I don't know, man. I got a sense about him and I, I can't tell if I'm crazy or not or if I'm you know just drinking the Kool-Aid. Where, where are you at on Mitch, like just big picture-wise? Well, from a defensive standpoint, it's reminiscent of – a player like Ewing who can just anchor a defense. And he can certainly do more in terms of his perimeter work. And granted, I say this as someone who was born in the midst of the Ewing era, so you are someone who could speak far more on Ewing's defensive prowess than I can. But it's just that sort of thing where you think of someone who can solidify a defense and really set a tone. And that's what I see Mitch Robinson doing based on how active he is around the perimeter, in the paint. The fact that he's able to block all these three-point shots is incredible. And... With a third with if you said the third overall pick, for example, I look at that from a financial perspective, and I think to myself, that doesn't even work either because the third overall pick is will from this year will be making four times as much, and every dollar is going to count this summer. At least that's what we certainly hope. And it's the sort of thing where Mitchell Robinson's contract situation is like Jokic's, where he's actually yes potentially going to get paid after his third year instead of his fourth. And there are a lot of pieces that could fit. It could be that it's irrelevant to worry about because of the fact that the Knicks would have or could have two max contracts on the book anyways. I mean, the point is that he's he's playing at dirt cheap for the next two years. And um, by the end of and, – and they will – I forget what the actual term is, if they will decline the last year or whatever the terminology is. Basically, they'll make sure to keep him as a restricted free agent – um, they'll cut his contract off after three years. I'm, I'm imagining that's what they'll do. Um, I believe it's a team option that they would decline. There you go. Decline the team option. Keep him as a restricted free agent. It's what Denver, like you said, did with Jokic this year. It's it's mm-hmm. almost inevitably um, what they'll do. All right, so Mitch isn't going anywhere. Um, I would say next up on the list is Kevin Knox. Um, 17 points tonight, 10 rebounds, only the fourth time all year he's had double-digit rebounds. Um couldn't really hit a shot in the second half, but otherwise I thought he had a, a nice all-around game. Um, I saw him get up on a couple of three-point shooters, which is the thing that has probably maddened me more than anything else about Kevin Knox this season. Mm-hmm. Um, same question to you. Do, do you see any scenario, or maybe I should ask it this way, what's the scenario where you see Kevin Knox not being on the team next year? If it's for a star player, like an Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal type. But even then, so let's let's go down that road for a half a second, all right? Mm-hmm. You, if they sign the two max guys, I don't like. That's not like yes. Could it technically happen if they get the first pick and they could accumulate just enough salary to make that deal work and literally throw everybody in? Yes. But if they sign the second max, you don't see that happening. I'm imagining, right? I don't. I think another big thing is that – and I'm actually – I'm going to have an article about this should it happen because I don't want to be um, too presumptuous here. But the Knicks have done a remarkable job of showing why it's not necessarily how you play. It's who you know. It's a game of networking. And the Knicks have <laughs> like instilled this. a sense of relationships and bonds that are directly tied to Kevin Durant. And it's the sort of thing where, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're Durant, this is almost like coming home. Not a homecoming, but you have so many people that you are close to. I mean, the list goes on. Kevin Knox, Alonzo Trier with his team option, but you know he's still here. We're, we're getting um, to him next. Don't worry. Exactly. Royal Ivy. Um, and DeAndre Jordan. The list goes on Scott and on. Scott Perry. Um, Rich Kleiman. It's. Yeah. It's insane how many how obvious it is that the Knicks have strategically placed players and coaches 
to try to attract Kevin Durant. And that's fine. But Knox being close with Durant, it honestly leads me to believe that he's not going anywhere. Because even though Durant, I believe, if the Knicks came to him and said, hey, we know you're close with these guys, but we also have a plan to get Anthony Davis in here. Something tells me Kevin Durant would kind of shrug and be like, all right, well, whatever you guys think is the best way to win, let's do it. I don't think he would prioritize friendship over winning. With that said, if he feels that Kevin Knox at 20 can help the team win next year, kills two birds with one stone. Can I give you a hot take? It's a little hot. Go for it. It's warm. It's lukewarm. Um, I I don't – this is going to sound weird and stupid because I I think by the time he retires, he's probably going to be one of the 15 greatest players ever. I don't think Anthony Davis makes sense if you're signing Durant and Kyrie. And here's here's why I say that. And this is I, – I don't mean – this is going to sound bad towards a guy who's a legitimate first ballot Hall of Famer. Someone needs to be Chris Bosh, right? So what I mean by that mm-hmm. is it is literally impossible we, because we've never seen it in NBA history for there to be three – high usage guys who like are equally like um what's the best word to or what's the best way to describe it like equal partners let's just say in an offense right mm-hmm. and and someone might reference the warriors and they say well they have four guys well no they don't they have one guy in Draymond Green who could care less if he takes two shots a game and often does and they have another guy in Clay Thompson who because of the unique ecosystem with that team, again, literally doesn't need the ball to be a threat. With If it is indeed Durant and Kyrie, and we are getting way ahead of ourselves here, but if just for argument's sake it is those two guys, I like, yes, they're both really good shooters, but they also like to have the ball in their hands. They want to have the ball in their hands. And guess what? They'd be coming here to have the ball in their hands. I just, I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it making sense. I don't see it as something this front office is going to want to mortgage everybody to to do. I think Kevin Knox is going to be here. Um, I don't think they're going to trade him. I, I've changed my stance on this. I thought they would they would figure out a way to make a trade for a, a third star. I don't think they're going to do it anymore. I think they like the idea of even if they get both Maxes, kind of keeping this cupboard cupboard stocked with young talent. So. Um, I don't think Knox is going anywhere. I'm very hopeful for him. I think he could actually play a big role in this team next year, regardless of who they get. Here's my bone to pick with you about your piece. You ready for it? Let's do it. You had Trier as essentially like almost the most likely guy to not be here. Is that a fair is that a fair representation of your piece? I had Trier as the most likely guy to not be here on the contract he's on. Okay, and and you say that with a very specific reason, which I'll let you explain now. So Trier does have a team op, or it's a team option next year, and what the Knicks can do is they can decline that option, making him a restricted free agent. The but, problem with that yeah, okay. is that his cap hold is then larger, taking up more space than if they had just accepted the team option, and I mean it kind of. Which makes no which makes no sense to do. So then, right? The, then the, so they'd have to renounce his cap hold, making him an unrestricted free agent, and giving him the opportunity to go to any team that he wants. The thing that I wonder about is one thing they could do is accept Trier's option and then trade one of Neil Aquino or Dennis Smith Jr. I just don't know how comfortable the Knicks might be in that situation. Because I think that they have outpriced themselves. They're bidding against themselves with Trier. Because if you look at the salaries, Trier's making more money than Miles Bridges. And Miles Bridges was drafted 12th overall, I believe, last year. So it's the sort of thing where would I say Alonzo Trier's better than Miles Bridges? Yeah, I would. That said, eh. Alonzo Trier was never a lottery pick. It's close. He sh- and he shouldn't have been. The question is always should he have been drafted, not should he have been a lottery pick. Yeah. I do wonder if it's an overpay, and that does concern me when every dollar counts. So then there's the option of, okay, if you don't do that, uh, you keep everyone, but you decline Trier's option, where do you go from there? Is he confident 
are comfortable signing veteran minimum. I don't know about that. Is he a good option for the room exception? I don't think that that $4.5, $4.7 million is well invested if you give it to him. You might as well just and, give him the $3 million and then trade someone else. And can I jump in there for a second? I, I love the way that you brought the scenario to its logical conclusion, which is, again, decline the team option, um, uh, renounce the cap hold, and sign him for all or a portion of the room exception. Again, this whole scenario is contingent on them signing two max guys. If they sign two max guys, there is zero chance that that room exception doesn't go to a veteran of some renown. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I don't think that's an option. My second hot take, I think there is – if there's like zero chance Mitch is elsewhere next year and there's like a 3% chance that Knox is elsewhere next year, I think there's like – an 8% chance that Trier is elsewhere next year. I think he is absolutely going to be a member of this team next season. I agree. It's just a matter of how much he's making. I, I, ju- I think thoughts. they're going to keep him on. I, I just don't think they're... I think they would... And, and this is going to hurt me in my soul as I say the words, but I think they would rather literally um, dump Nilakina's contract in like a cap dump um, then not bring back Trier. I think that's how high they are on him, and I think that's how sold they are on him being a part of the team and being a part of the future. I definitely see where you're coming. The one thing I'd say to that is if we're choosing between Trier and Frank, I think it's pretty obviously why the organization would choose Trier. It, it, that move, though, is the antithesis of this whole shtick on a defensive-minded team or a defense-first mentality. And we'll get into that when I when we talk about Frank. But I do think Trier is coming back in some capacity. Again, if he even even if he makes the veteran minimum for a player with one year experience, he'd be making the same amount if he were a second round pick. It's just a matter of how comfortable he is, knowing he's gonna be sacrificing about half or a third of the money that he could get with the Knicks in other ways, or even if another team with cap space says, Hey, we really like what you're doing. Come on down. And he's an unrestricted free agent. He doesn't have to wait for the Knicks. Yeah. Um, I, I. It's going to be interesting. I. So here's where I'm going with this one. So if Mitch and Knox and Trier are back, that brings us to the last three guys that you talk about, which is Smith Jr., Frank, and Dotson. Let's get Dotson out of the way. Um, what is the simple – Dotson, by the way, had a rough shooting game tonight. Actually, no, he didn't. He was. It seemed like he didn't hit anything, and I'm looking at the box score. He went 5 for 10 from the field. Not a bad game. Finished with 12 points. Team high, 41 minutes. Um, he has to be averaging, like, close to 35 minutes a game over the, the last several – I don't even know how many games of the season. Um, why is Dotson as safe a bet as anyone to be back? You explained it well in your piece. Similarly to Mitchell Robinson, he's making so little that cutting him really doesn't help you very much. I mean, sure, if you got rid of Dotson, you would probably have enough money for the fourth overall pick or the fifth overall pick. Barely, uh, well, yeah. actually, Actually, you wouldn't for the fourth because that would be an extra cap hold. It's only, so it would just be the fifth. It's only So the difference between Dotson's salary for next year and the minimum salary charge is under a million dollars, right? Correct. It's, yeah. it's about half. And so at that point, you're wondering why are you really doing that, especially when you consider that Dotson's value exceeds his salary by a pretty great amount. I mean if Dotson went out on the open market right now, I think he could make slightly less than Josh Richardson money, which was what, like $12 million or so? (sighs) Boy, what would he make this summer? That's Because some team is going to see a 3-and-D win – who can connect from three, especially on a catch-and-shoot situation. Jeremy Grant for the Thunder last summer got, what was that, three for 27? Yes. Um, But keep in mind, that summer was such hell because so many teams were completely out of the equation because they couldn't spend. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like, and you know, obviously they play different positions, but I'm just trying to think of guys who are like, 
in the right situation, you could be like, oh, this is a guy that could play some big minutes for a good... I would say probably like three for... Well, Dougie, Dougie McBuckets, got three for 21, and that was seen as like a kind of sort of fair deal, right? At the time, I personally thought it was an overpay. I I Just based on... But but if if we're using that as a benchmark, which I agree is a good benchmark to use, we've seen both of them. We know that Dotson is a better overall player because yeah. other than Dougie hitting threes or making backdoor cuts, it, what what really did he offer? I mean, on the low Dotson, end, I think he offered more. Yeah, no, I I I mean, I, you know me, I'm high on Dotson. I think you are as well. I'm I'm thinking on the low end, like Glenn Robinson the third, he signed for like little to nothing, and he was. Kind of, sort of, if you squinted hard enough, fit that 3 and D profile. Um, I think he would sign for at least 3 for 18. But just to to bring home my point, since the All-Star break, this is insane, Damian Dotson has been averaging 33 minutes a game. 37, yeah, this doesn't include tonight, by the way, so it's probably above that. Uh, 37% from 3, um, 14 points, 4 rebounds, nearly 3 assists. Yeah, he's... He's going to be here. It would be insane for them not to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that brings us down to the last two and um, my last hot slash lukewarm um, take of the night, which is this. I don't think that both Dennis – if they sign two maxes and assuming the second max is a point guard, whether it be Kyrie or Kemba, I don't think that – that Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina will both be back next season. And I say this less from a philosophy of like team building because I think like you and like we've talked about, they could fit beautifully together, even if it was on a second unit. And both of those guys, I think Dennis Smith Jr. could play alongside a guy like Kyrie. I think Frank could play in a starting lineup in whatever configuration next season. I think he could work in all sorts of beautiful ways. But as your piece detailed brilliantly today, it comes down to the money. And both of those guys are making over $4 million a year next year. And that could be the difference between fitting everybody else in and not. So tell me I'm wrong, Jeremy. Tell me I'm an asshole. Come on, I'm right no, here. No, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's wrong at all. I don't think we're ever going to see the two of them play together on the same team if the Knicks sign two stars. I think it's a little redundant, especially if you sign Kyrie Irving. I think having Dennis Smith Jr. on the roster is redundant. That's not a matter of is Dennis Smith Jr. a better player than Frankie Lakina at this point in time. You know, I mean, Frank's defense is legitimate and Dennis Smith Jr. has They're problems. so they're different. different. Exactly. But it's the sort of thing where you want to mix and match based on the strengths and weaknesses of the players you have. I don't know if Dennis Smith Jr. Let me start off by saying something else. I think that you can find better backup point guards on the open market using your room exception than you can finding wings who are defensive-minded like Frank. Can I can I just interject really quick and I think you just made a brilliant point and I think it's one that hasn't been made nearly enough and it's this. It's not a matter of like whether Dennis Smith Jr would be okay being a backup. I think that's its own issue and I think it is a valid discussion. I think it's what you just said. It's a matter of um opportunity cost and best use of resources. What Dennis Smith Jr brings to the table is far less important if you have a guy like Kyrie Irving or, for that matter, Kimball Walker on your team. Um, but then the question, but at the same time, um, we have to ask ourselves because this organization has not always made the most competent personnel decisions in the past. And I know Perry has done yeoman's work and has done wonderfully, but I, I just. I don't know. Are we really to believe that they would possibly choose Frank over Smith Jr. Um, because of fit? I, I don't know, man. What, where, where do you think? I think the one thing that benefits Frank, other than the defensive mindset, which would cover for more of Kyrie's flaws than what Dennis Smith Jr. could do, is the fact that he can be um, flexible. Yeah, I, that's I, a good point. 
I'm, I'm blanking on the word right now. Just positionally, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. So you can create more dangerous matchups defensively and do a lot more switching than if you have Dennis Smith Jr. and Kyrie Irving together, two point guards who enjoy having the ball in their hands and maybe can't play off of one another. It, it, it almost feels to me like a Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum situation where you're mm-hmm. having two offensive guards – the only difference is that both of them have great offensive skills. Dame more than CJ, and, but and specifically their the shot and and Dennis exactly. Smith Jr. Um, he had a nice uh, game two nights ago from three point range. Uh, tonight he was he was two for nine. Uh, not as great. It, it's that's the part of it. it. If Dennis Smith Jr. If I knew that he was going to be a thirty seven or thirty eight percent three point shooter over the next several years, it would. Like it would change the whole conversation, but then again, if we knew Frank was going to be that, it would change the conversation in that way as well. Exactly, and you know, one thing I could see the Knicks doing is picking up that Alonzo Trier option and then trading Frank or Dennis after July first when they know which players they're getting. Yeah. Because then, like for example, if if the Knicks somehow don't get Kyrie, but then Kawhi Leonard come on down. It's, you can always have more defensive players, but That's that kind of eliminates maybe what Frank Nielakina brings to the table. Maybe you need that backup guard. Um, no, it would, I, I think that would change everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's my turn for a hot take now. Oh boy, I think that well, for, for starters, Frank's value right now is cratered, and you don't sell low. You sell high. You buy low. I don't see many teams that would give up something that's of value just for the Knicks to get Frank's salary off books. I'm sure there are teams that would invest in Frank. I do think that there's one team that makes perfect sense for Dennis Smith Jr., and it's the Charlotte Hornets, and I'll tell you why. That's interesting. Okay. After July 1st, there's a very high likelihood that the only point guard on Charlotte's roster is Devontae Graham. (laughs) <laughs> the reason for that is because Tony Parker is a non-guaranteed deal, and we all know about Kemba Walker and how he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Can I interject there really quickly? I forget where I read it. Um, I want to say Zach Lowe had a tweet about it, or maybe it was in an article. But And I, I don't keep up on like Charlotte beat stuff uh, from down there. But I, I guess the word out of out of the Hornets camp is like, he not that he's as good as gum, but like there's a... Like it's not like he oh there's a small chance he's leaving. It's like there's a real chance he's leaving. So yeah, yeah. And they even if he stays, it's great to have a homegrown North Carolina player, especially if he's gone. It's something. It's a way for them to market the team because let's face it, they're going to be atrocious without Kemba. Yeah. So and it's a little bit more superficial. Of course, he's not a great fit next to someone like a Malik Monk. Granted, you could say if they're going to lose anyway. They'll be fun to watch with Miles Bridges, a lot of dunking. Maybe they could do some pregame dunk contests. Again, it's it's not you know team related, of course, <laughs> but it's the situation where the Hornets could have him for really cheap. And what I mean by that is the Knicks do have the Hornets' second round pick, which if Kemba leaves is going to be the thirty first or thirty second pick in the draft. That's in. But, we should be clear. That's in that's 2020 and twenty twenty one. Yes, but they also hold. Cleveland's second round pick in 2020 and they hold um Brooklyn and the Clippers pick the second round pick in 2021 I could see the Knicks saying hey you know we need to get the salary off the books Dennis Smith maybe could get more in a vacuum but we'll take a high second round pick for him you can go to Charlotte we've made room bada bing bada boom it all works out because I don't know of that many teams that really need point guards and that need point guards that are maybe halfway through their rookie contracts. And to me, they just seem like the most viable option based on how precarious their point guard situation is. You, It's funny. You made the point that I was going to make, but I'm actually going to disagree with you in, in this way. Um, I think that there's definitely a possibility that, that such a trade could happen. The And I and I always reference Zach Lowe because he just knows this stuff so well. He made the point... Um, after they made the Porzingis trade that, um, at this point, Dennis Smith Jr.'s value on the trade market is, is definitely higher than Frank Nilekina's, and I don't disagree with that. 
The issue is this. There's like, let's throw Charlotte in the mix. Even even with them, there's like, what, three or four teams who look at Dennis Smith Jr. and like, yes, that's a guy that I want playing significant minutes for my team next season, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's not a long list of teams. And even though Frank's value is obviously cratered, um, I could see there being so many more teams who at least want to get in on the running for Frank because you could look at it and say, well, whether it's completely the Knicks' fault or kind of a circumstance of them firing um, Phil Jackson 10 days after drafting Frank, it's it's not so much that it's the player, it's more just there were circumstances that happened that the fit didn't work out and you know might chalk up his shooting to some confidence issues. I could see there being not like a bidding war for Frank, but I could see a lot of teams getting involved, more so than the amount of teams I could see getting involved for Smith Jr. So I agree with your logic, but I just think it may be a different result in that they could actually maybe get a higher pick um, for Frank. Yes, but what I would say to that is at that point, does it matter? Does the difference between what you'd get for Frank and Dennis Smith Jr. matter if you are building an actual contender and you're trying to figure out ways to complement those players. You're absolutely right. You at that point you go with you go with the best fit. And um yeah, no, I, I don't disagree and to your to your thing that you said before, it really does matter on, on who ends up coming and um let's hey, listen, we're talking about two max guys as if they're already here. Let's I know get, it's, it's let's crazy. get let's get one guy and let's hope it's not Fucking Jimmy Butler or DeMarcus <laughs> Cousins or who would be the worst? What would be what would literally be the worst July first thing that you? It's five in the morning. You pick up your phone and you see that Woj just tweeted out at three in the morning. What? What's your worst nightmare? The New York Knicks have agreed to a four-year max contract. Like realistic, realistic. Vucevic. Ah. It's nothing against Vucevic. It just makes no sense. I don't whatsoever. think it's realistic, though. That's not realistic. No, not, no. not with Mitch here. No. I'm trying to think the worst one that's realistic. I think the worst one that's realistic would be, um, Jimmy and Jimmy and Boogie. Yeah, that would be nightmare fuel. Yeah, no, that would be that would be bad. I do also want to say one other thing in regards to the point guard situation. Please do. I'm not the first person to champion this thought. However, John, what if I told you that the Knicks could get an elite passer on the market who, who is finishing this season 11th in assists per game, 12th in potential assists per game, 10th in assist points created per game, and 17th in assists to pass percentage per game of players who will have averaged or who have appeared in more than 40 games this year? I would tell you that I am intrigued. Who are you talking about? Player I'm talking about is Alfred Payton. Ah, the old Scott Perry favorite. Yes. Um, he's exactly. going to be a free agent, unrestricted. Um, yep. Only signed the one-year $3 million in New Orleans. So, he's incredible in pick and roll. And also he finds spot-up shooters, and some of the best spot-up shooters in the entire league this year, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Kadeem Allen. So it, this is interesting because then this gets into a whole host of other conversations about, well, what if Durant has already decided he's coming and he like the second guy isn't a guarantee? Um, which is definitely possible. Um, hmm. But because what I'm saying is, if you could you could take and you could accept Trier's team option, you could jettison Dennis Smith Jr. for a future second round pick, and then you could use that room exception to get someone like an Alfred Payton player. And then you just have him as a backup. And granted, Payton's defense sucks. But his offense is pretty damn good. I mean, when he's on the court offensively, the Pelicans had the eighth best offensive rating. Oh, no, the- he, he was good. Um, I I like, no, he was, he was no two ways about it. He was good. That's interesting. Because, was- I mean, just the whole thought, thought of, you know, like, and I just think about the, the car that I used an example where it's like, just put it on the roof. Put it on the roof of the car. There's no need to squeeze it in. So just drop that kid off the fire station and just go on your merry way. Um, yeah. 
Uh, we all, we didn't bring up Mario Hazonia um, on this podcast, and <laughs> apparently he was, according to a tweet by Vork I saw a few minutes ago, he was, like, vomiting all over the, um, like, literally vomiting all over the shower. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's not fun. Um, I don't know, man. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I I yeah I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, do you feel good heading into the off season? I haven't asked you this, but I, I probably should. I feel better than I should. That's a great line. Yeah, I just there's something about it where I feel like my entire Knicks fandom has been let down after let down, and me getting ahead of myself, and everything just makes sense right now for those players and it's still i could wind up getting my heart absolutely broken and i still expect to and yet i keep getting drawn to how much smoke there is around this fire hmm. and i think duran is gone no matter what just I, based on I a lot of things we're that. seeing yeah. it's then it's to me at that point process of elimination and for Durant, it could very easily just be yeah i want to go to the knicks because i'm so cynical because this is how my formative years have come with this team and it's like a Stockholm Syndrome situation that I'm left to believe okay well if he's definitely leaving where else does he go and I don't see him being in the same city as LeBron and I don't think that he would be amenable to going to the Nets because they're a young team I mean they're certainly older and they're more along the curve in development they're they're good though Jeremy I know believe me I know but at the same time I just I can't see him going there, not because I have this crazy hatred for the Nets. I just can't see him feeling like he can take that team from the depths as a challenge and, and delivering. It's, it's, they just feel like they're in the shadow, and I know I'm biased when I say that, but something just doesn't feel I, like a fit there. I – God. I, I just – I don't know if he cares about – I don't know what he cares about. Nobody knows what he cares about. I mean I've watched the boardroom yeah. stuff and it's, you know – like I he literally had an episode of the boardroom on ESPN Plus that came out this week in which he the, – it was a two-part – the end of the boardroom series. It was a two-part episode. It, literally it was uh, – I think it was entitled The Athlete as a Brand. And it was him and Rich Kleiman and LeBron and – um the hell's LeBron's agent's name? Um, Rich Paul. Rich Paul, thank you. And Jay Williams having a uh, however long, you know, hour-long conversation about what it means to be an athlete and a brand at the same time. And part of me is like, don't overanalyze it, stupid. Like, if you're an athlete that cares about being a brand, be like, <laughs> Are you going to go to the, the Brooklyn Nets, um, who who can't sell out their forget about it, can't sell out, who are last in attendance in a year in their in, that they're going to the playoffs, or are you going to come to a franchise that if you ever won something with, um, you know they would build uh, they would build statues in your honor. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I I don't. I'm I'm excited. Um, I too feel like I'm more hopeful than I should be, and and the sh- you know the shame of it is. The shame of it is, is if you gave me this exact roster this season, like to come back next year, and just put on like, like give me R.J. Barrett, or give me like fucking Culver, right? And like I don't know, one or two like vet guys uh, that come in and try to like stabilize the ship, and you overpay him for one year. No, you know, not Durant, but like. I don't know. Give Denny Green one year, twenty million dollars to come here and play. Like, if you give me that team next year, I'd be so excited about that team to watch them and just like root for them. But it would be such a it would be seen as such a colossal failure that it, I I just don't know that the organization would be able to survive it, and I feel like bad shit would transpire. Um, do you, do you get where I'm coming from? I do. I think the only way that they could spin it is by saying, "Yeah, this was a long-term rebuild. We we are more we've maximized our uh, assets as much as we can." At that point, I think they continue collecting, 
one possibility if they completely strike out is they could always look to sign Anthony Davis in 2020 and also trade for Bradley Beal. Again, I don't know if that's my preferred option, especially with 2021 coming up and you hope with um, Giannis and Nakumpo if he decides to leave. You just want to remain open. I don't. I, I don't want to say that it's all about this summer because it shouldn't be. But I agree with you. If it, they don't deliver, it feels like a massive failure on their part, and especially if they don't get the number one overall pick because all those photoshopped images of Zion, Kyrie, oh, I, and I, I Kevin even, Durant. Do you really care about the the number? I mean, not, not to say it's, that it's all. It's all about perception. That's what I'm saying, though. It's the idea of the Knicks put themselves in a position where they could do everything right and nothing breaks their way, and then they're ridiculed for yeah, it. Like, they're playing the game, and that's just what happens. I, but. I have to interject here because if, for this reason. If they end up, if, if May 14th comes and they end up with the fifth pick, it's one night's worth of um, LOL Knicks tweets from all the usual suspects, and then, it, and then we move on. That's it. If they strike, and that's fine. no, and no, and that is fine. But here's my point: if they strike out in July, the articles that we've seen lambasting the Lakers season over the last month, and there was another one that came out today on the Athletic. It was. It's been literally. It seems like every day I open up my my Twitter, and it's like a different. It's a different two two, two or three thousand word feature, basically uh, writing the eulogy on the Lakers. That will be nothing compared to the pieces that get written about the Knicks if they strike out in July. So that's that's the only reason why I want to separate those two things out very clearly. Yes. Um, all that being said, if they did strike out and if they did survive that and got into next season with this core... Um, I mean, boy, that would be a test of whatever organizational culture um, or lack thereof they've built over the last year. But I, I would, I would feel okay. As crazy as that is, all right. Um, we we did this one as an extended episode because it's our last one for a while. Um, Jeremy, you've been with me the whole way, man. I don't know how you've done it, but you have. We did. We did it. Well, yes, we did it. Um, I mean, you did it. You did far more of this uh, than I have. Listen, um, I needed I needed a, a, a co-captain here, and um, and shout out to Zach. I know Zach kind of he got busy towards the end of the year, and he has been on a ton of uh, a ton of episodes over the last like month or so. But uh, Zach Deluzio also obviously did a great job. But you have been the real um, you've been the real co-captain of this thing. Um, I, I could. I don't know exactly how many it's been. I think it's somewhere. It's upwards in the neighborhood of like 20, like between 15 and 20 of these post games, um, which is more wins than wins that they have. <laughs> uh, so uh, on behalf of everybody who has listened to these things, let me, let me say thank you. Um, Cause you've, it, you bring great um, insight and humor and um, obviously youth. You, you bring a lot of youth. <laughs> which is much needed on a podcast that I'm on um, to this thing um, every time we do one of these. And uh, it, it would not have been a success without you. So, um, you know, yeah, we're, we're like the podcast isn't dying and you're not dying. I don't I don't mean to say this like it's the end of something. You'll, I'm sure I'll have you on again in like, you know, a month or so. But uh, as far as like a regular like post game thing like you've been doing all season. Um, yeah, man, it's been awesome. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Yeah. Likewise, I've had a wonderful time. It's been great recapping what has just been a, an atrocious season. And <laughs> even then, no, but I mean, really, it's like, and, and you and I have talked about this offline, where it's like, if we've had a lot of fun, and I've talked about this with Andrew Claudio too, it's like, we've been able to consistently do these things, and this team is garbage. And it's going to be so much fun when they're not, and when we're able to talk earnestly about a team that's producing and that's not feeling like a chore to watch, even if we're able to get entertainment out of them losing games or just watching it, it's nice to know that they go in to games with a puncher's chance. And I think that's going to be a blast to talk about, to write about, to tweet about, and listen to a bunch of other people expressing their opinions and 
whatnot. So I think that's the thing I'm looking most forward to for next year. It's yeah, I want the Knicks to be great, but it's it's not just because this is a fan base that's so starved of it. It's because it's just it'll be such a joy to actually watch and and the discussions that we can have. And I just think that would be fantastic for the community. Um, that's really well said, and I think it's a good place to leave it off. Um, one one last plug for you for this season at least. Um, if you're if you're listening to this and you were not following Jeremy Cohen on Twitter, go follow him. He's a really good follow. He's funny. He's insightful. He's all of those things. Uh, you can find him at the Cohen Sidence. Uh, that is T H E C O H E N C I D E N C E. Um, and uh, obviously also find his stuff on Gotham Sports Network. Uh, again, really, really good piece that makes everything very clear about um, what's happening for the Knicks this summer and, and money-wise. You did a great chart, which lays it all out. Um, keep killing it, man. Um, thank you again for the season. This was a lot of fun, and uh, it's well past your bedtime, so um, <laughs> you know, gotta gotta make sure uh, you know you get mom to, to tuck you in before before the clock strikes midnight. Sorry, I had to get that one in. All right, everybody else, um, I am going to have a final uh, podcast this week to kind of give my final thoughts on this season. And then um, I'm going to take a little time off, not too long, like a week or so. Um, Already got some good guests lined up between now and the lottery. And then we'll have draft stuff. We'll have free agency previews and all that great shit. Um but uh yeah thanks for hanging with us the whole year and uh enjoy the rest of your week talk to you soon Video.